Hey there. I was going for a walk along the waterfront the other day, which is the only thing we Ontarians can really do nowadays, looking out at Lake Ontario and the Toronto Islands. And it made me think about what this past year has brought into focus in terms of our natural environment. There were positive environmental effects from some of the pandemic lockdown measures, clouds of pollution lifting, waters clearing, animals venturing into quieted cities, and it felt like the earth finally had a chance to breathe. It's made many people wonder, myself included, are these temporary changes something that can be sustained? And if so, how? I'm Trin Teresa Doe. Please call me Teresa. I'm sitting in for John Stackhouse, and this is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. Climate change feels like it is the singular issue of our time and a massive problem that needs to be solved. But the challenge? When it comes to our air, our water, and our earth, there are so many different approaches and stakeholders with so many different and often competing interests and success metrics. And the need to find ways of coordinating and collaborating across organizations and across borders is critical. So on this special Earth Day episode, we're gonna explore blockchain and how various blockchain-driven programs might just help us find better ways to work together in our fight against climate change. And just so we're all on the same page, I'm gonna quickly bring in a clip from my colleague, Kaushik Wenkatadri. He is the Senior Director for the Blockchain Center of Excellence at RBC, and this is his definition of blockchain. Blockchain is a technology for creating trust. It allows two parties to safely conduct a transaction or share data even if they don't trust each other. For more on this idea of blockchain as a climate change fighting tool, we're joined by two guests today. Joseph Pallant is the founder of Blockchain for Climate Foundation, and Joseph has been working in the carbon market space for more than 15 years. Welcome to Disruptors, Joseph. Thank you, Teresa. Great to be here. And also here with us today is Carolyn Dubois. She is the executive director of the Water Program at the Gordon Foundation and has led the development of a key initiative called DataStream. Hello, and welcome to Disruptors. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the specifics here, it is an Earth Day episode, and I'm hoping to ask you, Carolyn, have you always felt connected to environmental causes? Were you one of those kids rescuing birds in your spare time? That's funny you should put it that way, because uh, I was definitely that kid. I have rescued many a bird in my time. Um, and I and I would say that I attribute a lot of my interest in the environment to a lot of outdoor education as a kid. So I've always been interested in, um, in the environment through canoe tripping and getting out on the water. Uh, it's made me really passionate about environmental issues. I love that, how small things in your childhood leads you to where you are today. And Joseph, what about you? Has green always been your favorite color? Uh, it has. Um, I grew up in British Columbia, um, a mix of on the coast and in the interior, and have loved camping from an early age. Also benefited from amazing environmental education through the EarthQuest program uh, in grade 11 in Vernon, where we did a whole half year outdoors. So Joseph, can you tell us in a nutshell what the mission of your organization is? Um, so I'm the Director of Climate Innovation at Ecotrust Canada, as well as the founder at Blockchain for Climate Foundation. Um, and together we've put together, we're calling it the Blockchain for Climate um, 
partnership. And we're really bringing in the work of these two uh, sort of missions of these two organizations to build a tool that we can move forward on climate, of course. With Blockchain for Climate Foundation, we've been focused on building a blockchain-based platform called the Bitmo platform, or Blockchain Internationally Transferred Mitigation Outcome Platform, to allow governments of the world to issue and exchange Paris Agreement-compliant carbon credits. That's interesting, and I think something we'll definitely include in our show notes. Carolyn, can you please tell us a little bit about what your organization does, um, as well as DataStream? So what DataStream is, is it's an open access platform for sharing water data. So what I mean by this is this is literally an online site that anybody anywhere in the world can access. And if you if you visit the site, you'll have a map-based search and you'll be able to drill down to places you're interested in and see what data is available there. So I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that despite huge amounts of effort and energy put into research and monitoring on watersheds across the country, it's very difficult to get your hands on data about your, your local watershed. So this has real consequences. So for example, WWF Canada in its freshwater health assessments in 2020 found that for 60% of Canadian watersheds, there was insufficient data to assess freshwater health. So this is the issue that DataStream is really drilled down into and is working to solve. And the reason that this is exciting is that it's allowing for new connections to be made among researchers. And it's it's really providing this valuable foundation of data that we're going to need now and into the future to be able to address environmental changes as they happen. If we take a step back. There is a tapestry of challenges and corresponding solutions to combat climate change, and some are focused on actually reducing greenhouse gas emissions, others are honed on mitigating its effects, others seek to restore damaged ecosystems, and so on and so forth. And so if I'm able to ask you, where does your work fit into the broader context? Uh, uh, Carolyn, we'll continue with you. Yeah, so that's a great question. Um what DataStream is, is it's really providing this data sharing infrastructure. It's a neutral home for data, which is so, so important. And so one of the ways that we like to talk about our work is we think about, you know, the ideal scenario of what we call the data to policy cycle. The idea that somebody goes out and monitors, makes the data available, that data can then be interpreted and, and turned into knowledge. So by researchers saying, okay, well, Here's, you know, what's happening in this watershed, um, and that can then point to solutions um, or new policies. So DataStream really sits in that place in the data to policy cycle, which is just serving up data on a neutral platform. So once you have that kind of infrastructure, all of a sudden, all kinds of other things become possible. So you can start to point to solutions like we need to plant within this watershed in order to improve water quality, or these are the best management practices within this agricultural region that are really going to reduce algal blooms. We see ourselves as, as working with those who are collecting with data, making it available so that we can inform that action on the ground. That's really sort of the, the reason behind uh, this fascination and I'd say, you know, obsession with data that uh, my team at DataStream has. <laughs> and Joseph, what about yourself? What, what makes the work of blockchain for climate important? The work at Blockchain for Climate Foundation and through the Blockchain for Climate Partnership is focused on connecting the supply of emission reduction outcomes, potentials, 
with the demand and the capital to get it done. So we know that there's vast opportunity for protecting forests, for managing forests better, for restoring forests. We know that there is opportunities for renewable energy that take place in other parts of the world that um, simply wouldn't happen without more carbon finance. There's, there's projects everywhere around the world that can help us beat climate change. The issue has been, how do we array capital and demand to get those done? The Paris Agreement, Article 6, talks about and and really sets the stage for trading of internationally transferred mitigation outcomes, ITMOs. You can just think of it as carbon credits that are achieved in, in one place and transferred to the other. And so the Paris Agreement already is setting the stage for governments and uh, and other individuals to be investing across country lines in emission reduction outcomes. What our system is trying to do is operationalize Article 6 of the Paris Agreement, enable cross-border um, transactions where money gets sent, reduces emissions, and then the credit for that is transferred back to a country or a party that needs to reduce its emissions. Um, and then that that cycle can roll on. And hearing you describe that, it resonates with me. Um, in my past life, I was a project manager, and this is very clearly uh, a project management challenge. And so I guess I'm curious, why blockchain? Why is a distributed ledger the tool of choice uh, for for reaching uh, these solutions? That is a great question. With the Bitmo platform, we enable governments to issue and exchange carbon credits that will be used under the Paris Agreement onto the blockchain. We're using non-fungible tokens or NFTs to achieve this task where you can pack in all of the information about your carbon credit, pack in the documents that certify that it's real, and then issue it out into the space. And you can transact with our platform, or you can use one of the public platforms like OpenSea to engage with this as well. And so what it really does is it allows governments a tool to package up and enable for trade, green light for trade, emission reduction outcomes that are achieved in their country. And it can run on the rails of the blockchain with the clarity needed to dig in as much as you need to because of all of what we can pack into an NFT. So the way that we use blockchain as part of our platform, as as part of the data stream platform, it's really to ensure that there's trust in the data and in the system. So how this works is that when somebody uploads data, um, it gets hashed and essentially you have a fingerprint of that data set. And that's then stored on the Ethereum blockchain. So at any given time, if somebody's looking at a data set, they can compare what they see on the blockchain to what's in our platform and ensure that it hasn't been tampered with. Trust is so important. Uh, If you're asking people to share their data, they need to trust the platform that they're sharing it with. And that's really for us where blockchain has come in. I think this is starting to help me really understand how blockchain technology can bring greater transparency and accountability to the fight against climate change. And when we come back, we're going to explore how these initiatives could extend beyond Canada's borders for truly global impact. You're listening to Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm Teresa Doe, sitting in for John Stackhouse. In every episode, we reveal the opportunities ahead for Canadian businesses and how many are already making international waves. We also profile programs you may not be aware of. Over the past two years, the RBC Tech for Nature initiative has donated $20 million to partners just like DataStream and Blockchain for Climate Foundation. 
in 2021, it has received almost 150 applications from others hoping to make the world a better place. If you'd like to learn more about RBC's commitment to sustainability, I'd encourage you to check out our climate blueprint, which we'll link to in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this episode, please download our Business of Benevolence episode, which profiles how technology is changing charitable giving. Welcome back to Disruptors. I'm Teresa Doe, guest hosting for John Stackhouse, and I'm here with Joseph Allen of Blockchain for Climate Foundation and Carolyn Dubois of DataStream. Carolyn, can you clarify something that might be tripping some of us lay people up? Isn't maintaining a blockchain platform highly energy intensive as it is with Bitcoin? And doesn't that run counterproductive in the fight against climate change? It's something that we've been thinking about a lot. And while we use the Ethereum blockchain, it does have the same issues around energy consumption. And so what we've had to do is we've had to design a solution that doesn't use blockchain so often, you know, we've had to make a trade-off of, you know, when are we going to use it? And the answer for us has been, we'll use it just enough for the for the parts of our transactions so that we can guarantee that data integrity. Now, we're really excited for Ethereum 2.0 and proof of stake, which is coming. Um, proof of stake will allow for the energy use to go down in huge ways, it'll be insignificant once proof of stake is launched. Uh, so we're anxiously awaiting that day. And when that happens, we're really excited because we think there'll be even more uses for blockchain. But, you know, these are things that we haven't wanted to do until we've seen that energy consumption can come down. I truly believe that the Ethereum blockchain is going to solve its emissions issues. And I'm trying to help uh, it move beyond that and have some of those creative minds that work in Ethereum use their tools, use their skills to go beyond just getting to zero carbon and moving onwards to see what kind of impacts Ethereum can have on beating climate change farther and farther beyond that. It's not that the Ethereum blockchain has no emissions or using it has no emissions. Um, It's that Fundamentally, the Ethereum blockchain does have emissions. There's work being done to address and reduce and eventually completely do away with those emissions. That work is underway and really exciting to see happen. We see that the innovation and the power of the Ethereum blockchain is so compelling that we are using this tool to build our platform with the comfort that it will not be causing extra climate emissions either because we're able to do it in a very low carbon way through layer two scaling or proof of stake, or because we will offset any excess emissions that are caused by our project. One of the things about climate change is that it doesn't recognize national borders. And so, Carolyn, much of DataStream's work focuses on Lake Winnipeg, Canada's second largest watershed, which takes in water that then flows through four U.S. states and four Canadian provinces. And with blockchain, you have the data, but there's a lack of control over legislation, politics, or even physical factors on the ground affecting freshwater health, especially because these areas cross borders. How is blockchain effective against these jurisdictional obstacles? That's a great question. And and one of the things we talk about a lot when it comes to water management is, of course, that water doesn't respect jurisdictional boundaries. And, and managing it requires, you know, collaboration, not just across national and international boundaries, uh, but also across sectors. Uh, 
when you are collaborating in making water management decisions, one of the foundational things that's needed is data, reliable data that you can use as fodder for informed conversations. So this is really what data stream is providing. And I want to touch on something that you said, you know, we're not, you know, we don't have control on the ground. And I think that's absolutely true. And uh, I'm based in Toronto and I do my work here, but, you know, data stream is, is being carried out in the McKenzie Basin, the Lake Winnipeg Basin, Atlantic Canada, all places I'm not in, though we are coming to the Great Lakes. But I should say that part of what's what's so important about data stream is our regional partnerships. So in the Lake Winnipeg Basin, for example, we partner with the Lake Winnipeg Foundation. And now, while I may not be on the ground and while DataStream may be existing in the ether online, uh, there are real people who are out there and they're collecting data about their local watersheds. People really, really care about their local waters and their best place to see changes as they happen. And this is a really powerful movement that we're seeing. And how is this data and information been effective in incentivizing the right behaviors? When you're having conversations about water management in the Lake Winnipeg Basin, for example, the big issue there is eutrophication. The lake literally has so much algae that it's 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 causing major problems, not just for the ecosystem, but also for people and, and people who are using the waters. Now, one of the problems is, as you said, you know, that water makes its way through all of these jurisdictional boundaries. Um and the question that you then ask yourself is, well, what's causing these, these algal blooms? And you really need data in order to be able to pinpoint those areas where, you know, you can't invest in the entire basin, in remediation in the entire basin. We need to really focus in those places where we'll get the biggest bang for our buck in terms of reducing, for example, nutrients coming off the land. Joseph, I'd like to turn back to you. Part of your market are the national parties or those ministries of energies worldwide. And I'm, I'm so curious, what has been the reception from those parties um, to the medium of exchange that you've described? When we speak with national parties, as well as engage in um, meetings like the UN climate cops that happen and engage with people in this space, the the interest varies. And I think that as time has moved forward, there's been more acceptance and understanding of this newfangled technology of, of blockchain. And I also am looking forward to the next set of international meetings after this boom in understanding around non-fungible tokens, NFTs, because I think that that discussion has had legs. And finally, uh, the discussion around the climate impact of Ethereum and uh, and certain blockchains, I also think has carried. And so being able to refine our discussion and, and clarify how our system is addressing those issues is really important. We're targeting national parties. We're targeting countries for our national party working group to collaborate on building this out and eventually implementing our platform with countries that are natural buyers, sellers, or our market makers, middlemen in the carbon market space. So the, the countries that are most likely to be interested in using a blockchain-based platform are going to be the same countries that actually just want to get going with the carbon markets and with international collaboration under the Paris Agreement. We know that Switzerland is really keen to buy. Chile is really keen to sell. They're talking about and making announcements that they'll be transferring ITMOs, but we know that there won't be a system in place um, likely for quite a number of years yet if we don't do something to try to speed that up and provide an alternate pathway. That's really interesting. 
And definitely food for thought. Carolyn, you mentioned that data stream is is open access. And I'm I'm wondering, have you seen just the fact that anybody can can check out the tool? Has that led to encouragement of the parties that are not moving as fast as they should? Yeah, I would say that it's been really exciting and I'm optimistic that we'll continue on this path. Um, There's a huge cultural shift is taking place around sharing data. So I would say even five years ago, the resistance to put, uh, for example, you know, a researcher for them to put their water quality data on a platform like this and make it available for everybody to use, regardless of the questions that they're asking about a watershed, you know, that has changed dramatically in the time um, that we've been working on this. And I do think trust is a really big and important part of that and that transparency that blockchain brings. but I would say there's, yeah, there's a huge cultural shift taking place. There's a huge shift as well around who's doing science. You know, more and more we're starting to see, you know, we've, we're hearing governments say, of course, we'll use community-based water monitoring data. You know, this idea that it can only be done by bona fide scientists, you know, that's really changing. And I, I and it'll change the way, you know, with, with time, it'll change you know, what solutions we're able to come up with um, for a lot of these environmental challenges. And Canada has set a net zero emissions target for 2050. What are your hopes for what can be achieved on that front in the next 30 years? Had a lot of time to reflect thanks to COVID. Uh, Just on how much uh, this pandemic has changed our behaviors and how we think. And uh, we've hit a the pause button and started to explore our own backyards, our neighborhoods, our parks, you know, nearby. We're traveling less for work. So I, I'm, I'm really curious to see, you know, with this opportunity to step back, if we'll start to ask ourselves, is a vacation once every two years abroad, you know, is that enough? And, and I think that that sort of broad uh, shift in terms of behavior within the population. It'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Um, and then more generally, in terms of technology, I'm I, I'm more optimistic than I have been in years. You know, when you're seeing GM um, really looking at churning out electric vehicles, all electric vehicles, you know, that's a huge shift. I'm hearing people who I never would have thought were environmentally minded or green saying that they really want an electric vehicle. That makes me excited and optimistic. And then finally, the the fact that solar is now the cheapest energy in history, I believe it's been it was declared last year. I mean, if that's not cause for some optimism, I don't know what is. Um, so yeah, I hope that we achieve our targets and exceed them in the next thirty years. Mm-hmm. It does. It really does feel like a, a watershed. Pardon the pun. Moment. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, in 30 years, your four-year-old and newborn son will be all grown up and with possible children of their own. What do you hope to be able to tell them what we have done to fight climate change? I earnestly hope that I can tell my sons that I've done everything that I could, that I could work as smart and as hard and accessed as much wisdom from other people as well uh, and fed that into making sure that Humanity is avoiding the worst of the possibilities from the climate crisis. I also will say to my sons uh, in 30 years from now and along the way and encourage everyone listening is to be courageous in your work to fight climate change. Be courageous in your work to make the world a better place, however you choose to do it, because 
the problems that are facing us are are real and we've known about them for some time and there is optimism and hope, but there is a lot left to do and to truly bend that curve into a reality that is um, going to be okay for society and for the planet. We need to work hard. So be courageous and work hard. Inspiring and uplifting notes to end on. Carolyn Dubois is the executive director of the Water Program at the Gordon Foundation and the lead on developing DataStream. I appreciate your time, Carolyn. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Joseph Palin is the founder and executive director of Blockchain for Climate Foundation. And thanks for joining us today on Disruptors. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And I'm Trin Teresado. Thanks for listening to Disruptors, an RBC podcast. We'll make sure to include lots of links in the show notes to the things we talked about in today's episode in case you want to learn more. And in the meantime, please let me wish you a very happy Earth Day. Disruptors, an RBC podcast, is created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by JAR Audio. For more Disruptors content, like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit rbc.com disruptors.